Hey everyone, this is Jade. Welcome to another episode of Still Here, Still Healing, part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. This podcast is all about bringing awareness to the impacts of residential schools in Canada and providing a platform for survivors to share their stories, as well as intergenerational survivors to share their stories and their current journeys. I'm really excited for everybody to hear this third episode on season two. But before we get into it, I just want to give a huge thank you to everyone that has been uh, showing up on my coffee page and providing donations and buying my artwork. All the proceeds from my coffee shop go towards this podcast, which is currently not funded, so anything helps. Anything that's donated usually goes towards uh, honorariums for all my guests that come on to the podcast. So thank you to everybody that's been showing support that way. I am going to link my coffee account uh, in this episode description, but you can also find it on my social media page. My Instagram is at jadr with three R's 94. You can find it there as well. So on this third episode of season two, I got to talk to Donna Pelly, and she is amazing. She's just like this no BS lady, but she's also very sweet and loving. And her son, Dallas, is one of my best friends and also one of my coworkers. And we've known each other for a while. Um, He's someone that is very special in my life and he has taught me a lot. He has shared a lot with me and we've really gotten close over the past couple years. So it was an honor to sit down with him and his mom and just hear um, their family stories. So this episode is also very special because I wanted to bring more attention to intergenerational trauma that our families experience and to be able to sit down with a mother and son and have them um, just support each other and listen to each other um, and share their story with me and with all of you it's it's really incredible so here is donna's story um my name is uh, donna pelly i'm from cody first nation uh, grew up there till I was 12 years old, and I put myself in residential school when I was 12. I went to Le Brett. Uh It was very lonely, but uh, I, I went anyways, and I made some friends and things like that. And um, like being traditional, we still had to always go and go and uh, into the church every day and say our little prayers and stuff and. I always kind of felt awkward because I didn't really know them. I just knew my own way, but um, it was uh, it was very lonely. But um, uh, like I said, I met a lot of people and uh, made a lot of friends, and and uh, the the atmosphere was. We tried to get into a lot of sports and stuff just to keep that that going. But there was a lot of kids in there that. Uh, were from back home and and uh, they made got into sports going there and, and so on but um, I want to share a story about my mother like this she went through horrific stuff before anything like um, like when she was five years old she said she come and uh, 
her, her, the police showed up to take her away to a residential school, and my dad, her dad, hid her, hid her in a bush. But they knew about her; they knew she existed, and so she was hiding in a bush. They told her just wait till they leave, and then when when they were gonna leave, he, my dad, my grandfather was being held out in handcuffs, and my mom gave herself up. So she let them take him. They took the handcuffs and left my my grandfather, and they took some more of the other kids too, and. And what she described to me was uh, um, not being knowing the English language, and that's all you know. But then getting hit for it, and then seeing her little brother, because my mom was the oldest girl, she tried to wave at her little brother to you know to tell him I love him, and she get hit for that. And they more or less sexualized her, her, uh, you know, trying to wave at her brother. She was being a pig, you know, and that really really bothered her and. And uh, as a result of that, uh, my mother came out of residential school really angry, like a lot of rage, a lot of unresolved issues because basically they were put with people that had never had any parenting skills training or never even had kids of their own. So they just got to do whatever. And like uh, the nuns and priests were never parents. So they took them from five till six year, 16 years old. And during that time, all those people that went through the whole system, they didn't have, they weren't taught any parenting skills because they were taught their parents spoke, their language was of the devil. Their ceremonies were evil. Like, you know, everything was, was, was really, um, our culture was really bought down. And uh, my late mom told me one time she came home and begged her dad not to pray anymore in our language, not to speak our language, that he needed to talk English and go to church and... So she was basically brainwashed for a while, you know, and she wanted to save her parents from hell because that's what she she described to me was every day they had to walk and see these big pictures. One side was with this blue skies, flowers, gardens, and sun, and just beautiful, and all of, the pic all, all of them were white people. And then the other side was our ceremonies, our sweats, and uh, they showed devils and fire and native people there. So that's what they told her. That's what she was. So that really broke her down as a as a person. Like uh, in terms of um, like you want to see your kid excel and be the best that they can be. And how is that possible if you were bogged down your whole life? How 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 are you supposed to have those in you when you've never experienced that? So uh, it was very difficult for her. Like. A, she came out of there, and uh, I think she had one year left. But that one year there, they, they she got hit across the head with a mop by one of the nuns, and then she grabbed that mop, and then they all come running and trying to attack her, and she, she was so full of rage. She said, but I, I don't even know what I'd done. She said, by the time I looked around, there was six nuns lying on the floor. And I was telling them, come on, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that rage. She just lost it on them because she, she got tired of beating, them beating her. And, you know, and and I do suspect she was abused, cause, but she didn't really tell us, like, sexual abuse. But one thing I did know is we never spoke about sex. It was bad. Mm -hmm. Like, even when I had my first pubic hair, I felt dirty, like I was a dirty person. And that's the messages I got like underlying like that you know it's a really horrible thing to do and I'm like 
but that's how I got here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's why I have brothers and sisters. No, I'm just kidding. But but just that the plain thought of sexuality was so bad and so evil, and that was their perception that they por- forced on 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 these poor little kids. And and like I said, when she got older, she um, she drank to cover her pain and and. Uh, being a survivor of that, like I, I had a very angry mother, and she'd say wicked stuff to us, like especially to the girls. It's like we were little bitches or little sluts. But I, I never, I, I always thought, why is she so mean? And then I went to university and I started studying about, you know, the impacts, and I got introduced about residential school. And then I, it's like a light bulb. That's why she was doing that. She didn't know any mm-hmm. better. That's all she knew. That's all she was taught. And and yet. Uh, after that, um, she became an alcoholic. There was a lot of family violence in our home, and and uh, all the kids would run out as a result of my parents drinking. And my mom was real stubborn. My dad was six four. She was like four eleven, and she would not stop even if he knocked her out. She'd get up and look for him. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Like real fighting her. And then finally, that one time there. Um, they were there was a big fight again and then the kids all ran out of the house and each of them thought that they grabbed the youngest and meanwhile she wandered off in into the snow and they all got back together and the youngest wasn't there so they went looking and they found her and then she froze her hand and her feet and they didn't know if she was gonna live and then my mom made that promise to the creator that i'll never drink again let my baby live please so then she started um, going back to my grandfather who, ne- who never went to residential school, but she started relearning her traditions and being, and he told her all about our culture and the beauty of it, and he told her lots, and it's what helped her is going back to our traditional ways. Um, she talked about, you know, praying and starting to go to sweats and asking for strength to beat this addiction, and and uh, she told me one time that she just thought, oh, I'll just get a little bottle, I'll just drink it, and she went behind the house to go and hide, and and she opened up her bottle, she was going to put it to her mouth, and all she heard was, Keiko! And she looked around, there was nobody, and she thought, oh, I'm hearing things. And then again, she was going to take a zip, and then real louder, it said, Keiko! That means don't. And then she just threw her drink away and never never drank again. But, um, you know, with somebody that hasn't, like, had counseling and stuff, like a lot of unresolved anger and stuff, uh, you know, when they say people, when they quit drinking, they're really angry after a while. So she was like a dry, mm-hmm. what do you call them, dry alcoholics or whatever. Yeah. But she was a beautiful person, my mother. I'd never, I'd never change her in the world. Like, she had a heart of gold. She had all of us kids, and then she bought us up to, dis- she despised alcohol. She despised, like, she didn't want us to go out and, you know, to get into relationships because it was so evil and bad, you know and uh we're sexual objects and stuff like that so that's where it kind of you know messed me up like um i ended up being really angry too and uh, we were always taught to respect our parents and not to to um talk back to them and that's when my our grandfather used to visit them all the time and they had really strong traditional roots and uh we had to really have a lot of respect for them like for example if my grandfather was driving down the road he would be doing like maybe 60 kilometers 
None of us were allowed to pass him. You don't pass an elder. So there'd be a big, long row of cars of our relatives. <laughs> Miss Omis is going to town. We can't pass him because if they passed him, he'd let them know you'd never go ahead in front of an elder. Like mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Uh, so so things mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've learned like that. And then my grandmother, the same thing. We'd see her on a highway. Oh, it's Coco. No, can't pass her. You have to real long going to town and we go the other way so we could get around them but you know those respect um um respect things and like like i said i had a i had a very beautiful mother you know she she just done the best that she could with what she knew and now that i know what i know about this residential school and how it impacted me and how it impacted my children because I struggled with alcohol myself you know I had my own pain mm -hmm. I had my own sadness you know the, the not feeling uh, the self-esteem that I should have and and uh, not proud of myself feeling you know really ugly about myself and and then uh, being told like real negative things about me it's just like I it wasn't like I was no good like with my boys, she told me I wasn't a good parent, and that really broke my heart. And here, I just love my boys, but that was the ways. Like that's a, a little example of those little things. Like you know, so she'd say wicked things, and then what I did to break that cycle is I always try to encourage my kids. You know, I gave them heck sometimes, but I never like call them you're stupid. You know, you're mm -hmm. you're you're this, you're that, and you know to beat them or anything like that. I try to break that cycle and, and show love, you know, love and be kind and, and loving and and to break that is uh, something that I've always, you know, I wanted to strive for that I'm never ever going to let my kids feel like nothing. And uh, for me, like when I, uh, like day school, for example, it's part of the residential school thing, it's just that you didn't, that you went home at night and I, I grew up in day school and, you know. I went to, uh, first day I went to to grade one, I was strapped right away with a big thick strap and meanwhile my parents never hit me. I was never hit, my siblings picked on me but my mom and dad never ever hit me and that was my first encounter was a big strap. And then uh, I'd see kids, um, the teachers there were, I don't even think they had degrees in education to teach us but they were real mean to the kids. They'd. Uh, grab them and slam them against the wall and drag them down the hair hallway with that by the hair and and that was the most traumatizing was the day school and um a lot of times to the kids some of the kids maybe they came from alcoholic homes they didn't sleep that night or maybe they didn't even sleep at home they'd be tired in grade two or grade three and they just get their t their chair kicked real hard and you know, like that, and then <clears throat> the, there was one priest there that was there when I was young, and he used to try to get us to act out uh, Jesus and Mary. Like, I never grew up with that, you know. I grew up with my traditions, and when we didn't know, he'd be just calling us little savages, and he'd have white spit how much he was just yelling at us, and I'd just be scared, like, mm -hmm. really confused. Like, what the heck's up with this? Like, well, why do I need to know that? You know, so... That kind of was, uh, and a lot of ridicule, they really ridiculed a lot of the kids there. And um, now, like the impact when you when you look go back home, a lot of my friends that went to school died. They died from addictions, they died from suicide, they died from, um, you know, health issues or whatever, but a lot of people died really young, very young. I lost two best friends when I was 16 and 
they uh, they they died, and it was like I grew up with with death around me all the time, and that's our community, not only me, mm-hmm. but the community as a whole. Now that I look back, it is as a as a child, I didn't know any better, but um, a lot of death in our community, like lots. We used to have wakes at houses and stuff, and and you know how you you you. Um, copy your parents or whatever so as a little girl there was like i was probably three there's a wake in our house you know somebody died and everybody would come to that house and and we got so used to death at such an early age mm-hmm. and then you know in the winter time me and my little cousin we we're the two youngest ones nobody ever wanted us around we we're the little the little sisters you know or the little kids like get out of here leave us alone so me and her so i didn't even think about it it was I probably would have gotten into trouble, but me and my cousin we used to dig and make a uh, coffin in the snow, and we'd pretend to cry for each other. Aww. Like we'd just like, ah, okay, I'm cold now. You go in. Okay, you're dead next. Like we'd be playing co- playing wake. <laughs> and now I think about it, I'm like, holy yeah, smokes! Because you're mimicking what you see. Yeah, right? mimicking. That was my yeah. environment, you know, yeah. and seeing so much death at a at a young age and. And people like dying and suicide and drinking and car accidents and and now I see like the impact is out there like you today now it's it's not alcohol it's like meth it's like people want to escape the pain and and, and things and I, I don't know if they've even considered counseling but the way I see it is people are, are, are using it as a coping mechanism because they don't have those tools within themselves like when you've been call down your whole life you know you're just living and surviving is basically what they're trying to do is to get through that day but to to look forward to a future when the when the when the when you're um everything is so bleak right now you may not even think there's a good future you know what i mean like uh, things like that and our, i feel like our communities are yeah we're still struggling a lot mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people maybe don't realize that connection of like residential schools really messed up our communities yes, like badly yeah because even there's people like me and i don't want to speak for you dallas but um maybe you feel the same way it's like we're still struggling with some things mm-hmm. and we didn't even attend and like mm-hmm. just because we had a parent that you know it, yeah they suffered and and we feel that effect exactly and it's just i guess it's a part of we need to start breaking the cycle yes how do we do that yeah and i like view just speaking about things that's why i want wanted this podcast to be started because i feel like like speaking about what Mm -hmm. you've been through speaking about your experiences is an act of healing yeah Mm -hmm. and if we start talking about these things and bringing out yes. what's hurting us yes it's like it's easier to acknowledge it's easier yes. to address so yeah just thankful that you're sharing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and like i said if it I, when, when when i went once got into social work and i'd done all these studies my eyes just opened up it's mm-hmm. like they were kind of like quarter open but wondering like why is she like this like why is it you know how could she so mad at me mm-hmm. and then like uh, my dad committed suicide when i was nine so I was really, I was daddy's girl, and, you know, after that, uh, 
I was so lonesome. I just wanted to run away. So when I was 12, I said, I want to go. And mm -hmm. I, I, I made that choice to go. I wanted to go. Yeah, that's something, like, I notice um, there are people that, like, make the choice mm -hmm. or made the choice to go to residential school. It wasn't, I guess, at that time, wasn't forced mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of people. I don't know what year you went, but, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've heard that, that, like, it wasn't forced on everybody, that some people mm -hmm. just made that choice. But yeah. I don't know. Do you think it was, like, with your mom, I guess attending and you said that she kind of was like brainwashed mm -hmm. do you think that's why she didn't have an issue with you like leaving or like what do you not necessarily because like after my dad passed she had, she had all these kids at home to look after and mm -hmm. he used to my mom used to do the work because she used to work and make the money and then my dad he was a uh, world war ii vet he had all these injuries he, had, he couldn't even work because he had his dead finger a big gash in his head he had ptsd like he had nightmares and all that and but the thing about it is when she was at work he looked after us mm. and he was a kind man really kind and loving he loved kids and everything and this made me feel the love he was so made me feel so special and and all that fighting that was going on like call downs and everything you know and um once the he was my dad had his own little uh, benefits from the war vets, and then once they knew he was with my mom and my mom was working, they cut him off his benefits and they said, "You you can live off your wife." Mm. It wasn't very long after that he killed himself because they took away his dignity. Mm -hmm. You know, after what he'd done for Canada, mm -hmm. they just cut him off, and he had to kind of like ask my mom. This big war hero was just thrown under, like you know. So, like, even that, too, like, and, and having a parent with PTSD and knowing he had wicked nightmares and stuff like that. And, and uh, like, my mom did eventually quit. She quit, and I, I've never, ever... The last four of us, there was 12 in our family. The last four of us never seen no al drugs or alcohol in our home. Like, alcohol was the issue, not drugs, but mm -hmm. alcohol. The, she, she totally um, didn't want nothing to do with it she just anybody that drank boy she'd give it to us she'd yell at us and give us shit and and uh a lot of fighting back home like physical you know if you don't if you don't get along with someone you go punch them out that's what, that's how it was the, like the dynamics it's just that's all you knew because like the day school that's all that happened is you get grabbed around thrown around you'd, they'd make you shit yourself and let you laugh at yourself and they, like we didn't they didn't value us it's like we were cattle they, to make us feel good that good feeling inside like for example when i was in grade three i i don't know how kids are old how old kids are in grade three but around i don't know seven eight i don't mm -hmm. know but anyways <clears throat> i missed school that one time and this and then i i was talking to this other boy and i said yeah there's no school and then so we both missed and then the teacher there was about let's say about uh 25 students in a classroom and there was a board a chalkboard there a pie and then there was about take about four steps so you're kind of high and then you look down at the classroom and then he he gave me shit my teacher was really angry with me and then he told the boy to wipe the chalkboard and he wiped it and then he done this made him do that to my face and I was all white and I was crying and then the kids were just laughing Aww. And I was just crushed. I just, it just broke me. Like my, my little soul was just broken. And, and I, after that, I feared for people to laugh at me. Mm -hmm. 
like in school I wouldn't answer questions because they're going to laugh at me you know mm-hmm. so um, as a result of that incident I was always quiet and shy like I, I didn't want to say nothing because I didn't want nobody to make fun of me anymore so as a result of you know of that and and uh didn't feel valued or anything you you could you develop a low self-esteem you know and I went to university when I was going for my social work degree I was really scared to talk in front of people I I even cried I was having nightmares and I'd be just shaking trying to talk and I'm like I'm scared and I'd, I'd revert back to that little girl in grade three that's who even though I was physically I was 24 when I when I when I went for my degree and I got it when I was 28 but when I was there I was I'd revert right back to that incident and I was so crushed and and so broken and so self-conscious and and so on and it's taken me a lifetime to get through like basically to 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 break that and why I wanted to public speak so bad is because I taught. I, I used to drive my mom around. She'd go put on workshops. She'd go do keynote speaking, and that became really important for me to to um, get a life to help our people in some way. And uh, like I said, I used to watch her talk to tons of people, and she'd just go up there with no paper, no notes, and she'd just talk from her heart. And that's so why I said, "Mom, how do you do that?" I say a prayer. She said, I always pray to Manito, let me let my words help, even if it's for one person. That person that's sitting there, maybe not saying anything, that my words are going to make a difference and they're going to have a better life. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings ever. So I asked Manito to give me those tools to to um, share with the audience and to make an impact, a positive impact on someone's life. And So that became my, my lifelong thing is after that, you know, I'm, I'm going to... Um, challenged is not speaking in front of people and one thing that was really important for me was my sons were going to have all the confidence in the world they're going to be able to go up in front of people not they weren't going to suffer what i suffered through Mm -hmm. and the fortunate thing is that when i see them they can both of them can talk to thousands of people i know and they're confident (laughs) like dallas is like one of the best speakers (laughs) i know and And that's what i wanted to make sure my my sons were not going to be like me so i I always said good job oh you're so awesome look at that oh i'm so proud of you like things like that that it shows like it shows in you know the 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 life they're living like they're good kids you know and got my grandsons and i want them to be very confident and strong and and then i started going to counseling i went to inner child i tried to find ways to help myself out and my dream was always to talk to people in like an audience full and Took me a long time. Took me a lot of practice, but uh, now I'm. I, I started doing workshops <laughs> for the last six years, and I'm just like when I first started, I was nervous, but I do the same thing my mom taught me. You're here to help people, my girl. Mm-hmm. Pray the Creator will give you the right words to help people, and and then I started doing these workshops, and some people have their heads down a lot. You could just see they're down, and I, and I wanna I wanna be that person to say, hey, lift your head. Mm-hmm. You know, we're worth something, you know. What kind of workshops are you doing? Uh, I do motivation, um, uh, change management, resume writing, uh, human rights, 
what are your rights? Uh, make sure people knew what discrimination was, mm-hmm. uh, how the interview process works. People, Some people tend to give too much information that will kind of shoot themselves in the foot by giving. So we basically get them prepared uh, for, for, um, for um, interviews, like how do you sit, you know, and stuff like that. But these last few years, like I just loved it. Like I, from, coming from a person that was so terrified and shook, mm-hmm. now I'm like, where do I go next? Huh? Where do I speak? <laughs> how much am I gonna go? You know, like yeah. I want to speak. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. And I broke that cycle, and it, it took me a long time. And it's been I'm forty. How old am I now? Forty? Oh. <laughs> I'm fifty-four. <laughs> Oh, nice try, yeah. I'm 54. I just turned 54, and I'd say the last six years of my life, my confidence has shot right up. That's awesome. And how I also helped it, too, is I like to karaoke. Like, I like to sing, and I always sang to my boys, you know, all my songs, but I would not sing in front of anybody because people are going to make fun of me. And then I, I started kind of coming out of my shell a little bit, and then I sang. My brother, my late brother, was a singer, played guitar. He, he performed all over, and then I sang for him, and he was like, <laughs> holy smokes how long you've been singing I said I sang my whole life mm-hmm. just to my boys though they know all my songs he's like you should have been singing long time mm-hmm. ago and I said well it's that confidence that mm-hmm. I didn't have that within myself and that one but they're gonna laugh like, yeah they're yeah. gonna laugh at me and uh, so even when I, 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 I'd make myself go and karaoke, I'd still kind of shake, but I'd, I'd move the microphone and so they wouldn't see me like this. I'd be like, yeah, you know, just moving it around, just dancing so they won't see it. And then now my confidence is like, it, it's it's there. It's I've, it's taken me like over 40 years to just to, that one little incident, people don't realize when you're mean to somebody how, how negative and how much damage they could do to a little child. Because mm-hmm. children look up to, adults like authority they know everything I'm just this little person here but no you got to start them small like you know they say zero to six is when your personalities are being developed and and stuff and and that's where you got to show them love you got to show them discipline you know all that stuff and and uh, working in a in a child welfare field I saw a lot of broken homes, broken families, and it all ties back to residential school. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna take us a, it's gonna take us a couple of generations. It's like it's not nothing that's gonna happen overnight. It's something that's gonna, uh, it's gonna take it's take a while. But you know that people like you guys are gonna make it happen. You guys are our future. Mm-hmm. You know, and making things brighter, having podcasts like they're talking about it. You know. I'd like to see more um, more um, re- rehabilitation programs and 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 cultural like people that want to go back to their cultural ways and it's, it's a beautiful culture and like that's all I know and we have a beautiful beautiful traditions and beautiful values and I'm so proud to be a First Nations person but I always didn't feel that you know as a as a little girl seeing how people were treated I always wished I was white. Oh, I wish I would look at their so beautiful homes and they're they're so fancy and look at me and I'm going to an outhouse, <laughs> little ragged clothes. But you know what? I wouldn't change that for the world. I'm glad I grew up the way I grew up, mm-hmm. poor and you know and and and. But we 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 did, we never starved. We you know hunting. My dad would hunt and we'd go picking berries. We'd have a garden and. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do is to to 
I wanted my babies to be confident, and and it shows. And people always tell me, "You got such you, your kids are just incredible. They they they're they can speak so well." Mm-hmm. And that was my mission. They're not gonna be like mama and take forty some years <laughs> to uncover something that scared me the most has become my biggest asset. And that's what I tell people in in inter in uh, out there. Challenge yourself. You don't even know what you're good at because you might be too scared. Try it. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I was scared right through, but now I'm just like, you couldn't pay me to shut up. <laughs> I was like, where else can I go? Anybody want to talk to me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to take that advice too because I like what you said, like something that can scare you the most can like yeah, end go up towards becoming it. your biggest yeah. asset. I like that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to, I guess, the topic about um, not realizing a lot about the impacts of residential school until entering university Mm -hmm. and maybe Dallas if you want to like speak on that too if you have anything to say Mm -hmm. but um, I guess from my own experience that's the same for me too is Mm -hmm. like I always knew when I was younger like what or I always knew that my dad went to a residential Mm -hmm. school but I didn't really know what that meant I didn't know how it affected him Mm -hmm. or all of our family or all of my community Mm -hmm. until I went to university and I started like learning the truth. And it's kind of like, why did why do we have to go to university to learn that? And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess what are your guys' thoughts? I'm sorry. I'm just gonna say there's a lot of people that don't believe in our ways. They 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 bought into it. They bought it that we're no good. Our language is evil. Our language is bad. They totally one hundred percent are fully into it, and they criticize our own people because we we stuck to our ways. Huh? Uh, Anin, my name is Dallas Pelly, the youngest of. Two children for Donna, and uh, just here to support her, and just happy to be on the podcast. Uh, yeah, just reflecting on that point of uh, going to university, uh, that was very similar to me. Um, so I grew up, um, I'd say, uh, somewhat, uh, you know, dysfunctional home. Um, you know, lots of moving around. I know my mom just talked about the alcoholism that we had to deal with, yeah. but not really knowing you know what were the root causes of of some of those issues and so um you know going to university for me i was a mature student so that means i went didn't go out of, straight out of high school it went about six years after being in the workforce and uh yeah those were eye-opening times uh you know we didn't grow up talking about residential school i didn't grow up my mom telling me um it was very recent i remember being at a conference with my mom and I remember looking up to this guy on the stage who was this the chief or the uh, national chief and that was Phil Fontaine and uh, you know lo and behold Phil was actually the first one of the first people to come forward and talk about his experience with residential school and the abuse that was suffered there and you know that was very recently that this kind of became a a topic of conversation you know in our society and so it's taken a tremendous amount of, um, you know, will and power and um, uh, courage for survivors to speak out. And uh, basically going back to university for me or going to university for me, it was like this uncovering of this horrific truth, mm-hmm. uh, but also understanding how that trauma might have affected me. So one of the terms that um, I've come to identify with is an intergenerational survivor, meaning that I personally did not attend residential school. Mm-hmm. I never had the... 
um, you know, that had that experience, yet the effects, um, you know, that I had on my mother ultimately did have an effect on me mm-hmm. and my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And now as a father, uh, father of three young men, three young boys, I have three boys under five years old, you know, those, hopefully those effects won't transfer to them, mm-hmm. but undoubtedly, you know, there's going to be something that, that, that will pass on. But as your topic of your podcast states, we're, we're still here and we're still mm-hmm. healing. And we're still, on, I'm still on that healing journey, um, you know, myself as a, as a young father, uh, realizing some of the things I had to witness and experience and realizing I'm, I'm just like my mom had these, I'll never, you know, do this to my kids. I have those same things, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have alcohol in my home. Um, yeah, father of three boys and I, I want to raise them in, in a good way. Um, I think one of the things, Jade, that I was thinking about talking about was just about, uh, I feel like with my mom being a residential school survivor and having, yeah, maybe not the greatest go, uh, you know, for us as a family, um, you know, for us kids, you know, there was alcoholism and there was was hard things. But one of the things that I think is redeeming for our story, for my family's story, is seeing my mom become a grandma. And uh, it's like a restart. It's like a refresh, you know. We had, uh, I know you became a parent going into university and I know we were even though you had a university degree, we were pretty poor growing yeah. up. We just yeah. bound. I remember before I was in grade eight, we lived in like I lived in Edmonton and Calgary and North Battleford. Yeah. Lived on both of my reserves. Lived in Winnipeg, and I was just like trying to find a job and steady income. And yeah, it's just crazy. But uh, just uh, now, just I feel like we've sort of settled down, and mm-hmm. I feel like you know my mom's her her, her healing process is still continuing, but mm-hmm. she'll come. A fuller person and i feel mm-hmm. like we can uh heal as our family and uh without these three wonderful little boys yes. that we just you know we cherish and we love and we think about the hardship that's had to come through our family but we want better for them you know we we don't want to grow up for them and grow up in the world that i grew up in or my mom grew up in or her mom grew up in mm-hmm. and it's a generation that's uh yeah. i think that's gonna help us heal mm-hmm. yeah is that next one mm-hmm. thank you and 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 just you know <clears throat> you know what Della said just talked about is like we moved around a lot and that's that's another example of you know uh of uh residential school you don't be- i didn't believe in myself i was running around chasing staying with somebody that was very abusive to me you know and that was normal for me because you know getting hit yeah oh yeah i got hit before dragged by the hair oh yeah i got dragged that's that's normal you know and i didn't realize like you know how much it was impacting my sons and i i i told them i was very selfish at the time i wasn't even thinking about you guys and i hurt my babies and mm-hmm. you know and all this moving around i was just trying to run away from my problems mm-hmm. oh i'll move to winnipeg it'll be better mm-hmm. oh i'll move to North Battleford, or I'll move to Calgary, like mm-hmm. running and running and trying to run away from problems, and yet they were in here, mm-hmm. they were in right here in my mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. That no matter where I went, it still came. So that's mm-hmm. when I really, after that, like that relationship was abusive, and I used to be kind of scared of him. And as soon as I knew he was gonna probably hit me, I'd grab alcohol. Mm-hmm. I said, "Be wicked," you know. When, when as soon as I got drunk, mm-hmm. I'd be, "Come on, let's go." I wasn't scared anymore. I'd be like, I'll take you on. 
you know, and I and I scared myself, and I think I scared him, because mm-hmm. I that's why I, I I told him it was my Rambo juice, because I'd be just scared, and then all of a sudden I'd go and go around, have my little Mickey, I'd come out, let's go, I'm just ready, ready to rumble. <laughs> but that that was in itself. That's just the only way I knew how to cope at the time, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate a lot of people are stuck in that for mm-hmm. a lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, and and I really feel for. For people like that, but you know, and 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 it always goes back to, uh, like believing in yourself, loving yourself, not being hard on yourself. That's one of the messages I take to young mothers when I'm talking to them, young 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 people. Like I've, I've taught both male and female, and 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 what I always try to tell them is that you're wonderful. You know what the potential that we have in us. We only use 10% of our potential. Mm. It's like an iceberg. 10% is sticking out. All of this other 90 is all untapped potential. You want to pull your potential up as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And then uh, doing a lot of research. So I'm really big on on uh, empowering, you know, empowering and telling them, yeah, I've been there, you know. I went through that whole thing. I, I used to be very suicidal. I tried when I was eight years old. Nine years old after my dad died, I wanted to go with him, so I, I tried to kill myself, and that was kind of a theme right into my thirties. And I'm just thankful that I, I I survived that, and I no longer think like that. It was just a a really dark period. It's just that that's what people do when things get too tough. You just check out. You know what I mean? But the thing that always kept me going is my sons. Like. Nobody will ever love my sons like I do. Mm-hmm. Nobody will ever tell them they love them. Mm-hmm. They could, I could have left them with aunties and everything, but they still they wouldn't get mama's love. Mm-hmm. So that's why, that's why I'm here is because of my babies. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave them in an ugly world. Mm-hmm. I'll stay with them and I'll help to mm-hmm. try to get them better too. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the things like for me growing up, like how, why I am who I am because I think about you know, having my mom as my mom. She's the babe, baby of 12 kids, youngest yeah. of 12. And I was my mom's baby. And, yeah. uh, you know, there was a lot of sacrifice that my mom made. Like, she was an educated woman. You know, she had her Bachelor of Social Work. And yet, you know, we still had that hardship. And no matter what hardships we had as a family, she'd always make, uh, you know, things special. Like, Christmas was always special for in our family, you know, with uh, making sacrifices uh, financially just... To put a smile on our face or our birthdays or you know those were things that as a kid you don't understand you know on the other side of that how much we were actually yeah. you know, maybe we couldn't have afforded that game boy or couldn't yeah. have afforded that playstation but yet my mom would would do what she had to do to to make those sacrifices and and to make sure like even just getting the best you know education and and you know having nice clothes when we went back in the fall and I just knew that those were things that, you know, I took maybe took for granted then, but my mom made a lot of sacrifices for us too. And uh, I too, like going back to my mom's mom or my grandma who's a residential school survivor, um, you know, two things that she, her legacy was she really wanted, um, she too was ashamed of being Soto uh, for a portion of her life, for being um, Indian. And, uh, you know, my mom also spoke with it and I, I too, Growing up, I, I didn't want to be brown. You know, I mm-hmm. wanted to fit in. Um, one of the funny things I heard one time was like, you can get anywhere if you sound white on the phone. <laughs> and I, was like, I was feeling like that. I was like, remember very early I was dating my wife and we're just dating at the time. And, 
she did, I picked up the phone and I was calling my mom or my mom had called me and so I'm starting to talk to mom and you know I just get my res accent on like <laughs> and I was there talking to my mom and it's like and then I hang up the phone and my wife or at that time my girlfriend's looking at me and she's like who are you <laughs> but that was part of our, my survival yeah. as, a, as an indigenous person Living mostly in cities my whole life, I, I lived under res for a little bit, but you know, I had to hack it out in these urban schools with not a lot of natives, and mm-hmm. that's what I had to do, you know, like almost take on like whiteness or become yeah. white and become, try to be excellent, try to outrun my problems, and mm-hmm. I found now, you know, I am, a, I am proud to be indigenous, mm-hmm. and it's taken me a very long time to, mm-hmm. to be proud in my own skin, but uh, as much as we talk about this, like, you know the horrors there's this era i think of like indigenous like yeah. resilience and, yes and uh it's like a renaissance time i feel like i yeah. look at the creative energy that's coming out of this generation and yeah. the healing that's happening with the aunties and the cookums across turtle island like there's something that's happening that's so that we can't miss it's like mm-hmm. this moment in time that's so beautiful mm-hmm. and the other thing that my um my cookum left us is this legacy of wanting the uh the value of education and that wasn't missed on me at all like if there was something my mom instilled in me was that i had to graduate you know i had to get through to grade 12 mm-hmm. and no matter what we were in school you know we wouldn't miss mm-hmm. you know we couldn't pay, play hooky you know it was like we we were there and uh you know i finished high school and like i said went after that went to university and university educated and I'm trying to change the narrative for me. Like I've been married to the same wonderful woman, Shalice, three beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had alcoholism is not an issue in my life. And we've been married mm-hmm. for over a decade and yeah. you know, same partner my whole life. And that's part of the resilience in that mm-hmm. changing the narrative in our family mm-hmm. is just, uh, you know, finding healings in different ways. So the mm-hmm. value of education was always impressed on me. And um, I was... Well, obviously for my kids want that too in whatever way they want yeah I've been seeing on like social media a lot uh, people are saying that if we're going to talk about indigenous trauma we need to also talk about indigenous excellence Yes. and so I'm happy you brought that up because um, yeah you guys are both examples of you know we come from some rough places and we've been through a lot of trauma but here we are like yeah so thank you both for sharing i just love this i can't wait to uh, share this with everybody else and if you want to like leave off with any last comments or last words then feel free i just feel like my mission is to to tell those who went through residential schools and to to show them you know that uh if you can't like like uh like i said my speaking you can't let fear run your life and that was one of my fears but I challenged myself and, and started believing in myself and started being kind and getting to know you know what she's actually a nice person like despite being told you're this you're that you're this you know all these labels placed upon my, my myself and actually believing them at some times you know and then and then I spent 10 years in no relationship I just worked on me and that was the best thing that I could have ever done because I was in no shape or form to, to be ready for a relationship. I wasn't even ready, prepared, even though I had given birth to two kids. 
emotionally, um, anything. I was not prepared, you know, but, but, but it's still, I still had my children, but I grew along with them too. And what my message is to people is that we're, we're resilient. We have a beautiful culture. There's programs out there to help anybody. You just got to ask, like, reach out, reach out to someone. Don't go through things by yourself. And, uh, yeah, that's my message. Cool. For me, I'd say this uh, podcast is uh, it's an amazing resource and so timely. I feel like there's, like, uh, every time an elder passes away, it's like a library burning down, mm-hmm. really. You know, like the, the experience that uh, exists here in the prairies here, and Turtle Island is so immense, and so this is a gift uh, that my mother would come and share and, and share her story and share her truth, and so it's now our responsibility to take that and learn from it and as well as share that. And so consider yourself lucky if you're listening to Still you're Still Healing that, you know, there's not a lot of places that you can go to have this, uh, you know, this kind of learning experience and share it with others, and uh, hopefully we can uh, help uh, undo this trauma and, and work together to build a, a better future. So thankful for this experience and hi hi miigwech